Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com backslash A-H-T-T. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Hard to Tell Podcast, episode 124. Dexter Henry, Brian Fonseca here. Uh, we got a Boricua in the building. Oh, yeah. I was <laughs> wearing hat for people listening. Wearing the hat. Know what's up. You saw that hat. It was on Sideline Stories. See the Sideline Stories t-shirt. You saw yeah. the hat. It was on uh, La Cultura episode of Sideline Stories. Really good. Coming up. We got some things coming up around that. So you should see. Uh, also, for people who need to know, uh, latest episode of Sideline Stories came out last week you should check that out it's about how sports journalists are dealing with things during COVID-19 but we are here during mm-hmm. COVID-19 quarantining being safe unlike some states in the south and I spoke to some people in Georgia yesterday Woo, yo people out there like it's Brian they out there like nothing ever happened have cases gone up yet nah there aren't really any numbers in that I think it's gonna take about a week or so before we start seeing that but okay I saw some video. I talked to my cousin, who's a who's a doctor down in Georgia, and she uh, was telling me about how people are just out on the streets, um, like nothing ever happened. I another friend of mine who's a doctor. I was speaking with his wife yesterday. Um, she wished me a happy birthday and was talking about how there's stuff like that out there too. So crazy, man. Crazy. Not stuff. time yet, man. It's not time for that stuff. And we're we're, we're gonna get into that with sports because Brian said it's not time. Uh, before we get to that, Brian, first of all, how, how are you doing uh, with quarantine life? How's quarantine life treating you? Like I told you, minus the obviously bad parts about this, I'm enjoying this. <laughs> okay. yeah. I'm introverted. You know what I mean? I mean, well, if I don't know you, like naturally amongst <laughs> strangers, I'm get introverted. It. Right. If I know you, I'm very extroverted. Um, yeah. <laughs> Brian's, so but, intro- Brian's so introverted, I'm surprised he ever came up and spoke to me. Yeah, yeah. He no, might have I not am. spoken to me. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Like it, it, it just like vibes of everything. Like yeah. yo, part like in terms of just being able to just do some things creatively, some side projects that is way too early to talk about for me yet. Um, that I'm working towards, and then just like this, I'm rubbing my hands like stuff. you because we spoke yeah, about it. Yeah. We spoke it's about way, it, and I'm excited way, about it. I support it's it. It's way <laughs> too early, but I'm making some a little bit of progress every day with it, and we'll see where that goes. Um. Yeah setting that up but other than that it's you know it's just it's just it's fine man survive in advance like march madness so you could do right now <laughs> yo you know yo, I, mean? I like that that's the motto i like that that's, that's, that's in what, advance. literally what i've been telling myself uh uh since this whole thing began and look man it, here's the thing what people are uh, are understanding because people want to like run outside and things like that mm-hmm. like yo, it can be it this it can still be worse so we should actually be grateful for that like, <laughs> yeah, and we need to relax before it gets worse. No, nah, we, nah, we, 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 we really do. And speaking of not relaxing, uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing fine and, and trying to take it one day at a time. As Brian said, survive sure. in advance. Uh, stay fit. Stay fit. Also, yeah, I've been actually, I've been enough. doing I've been doing a great job like that. It, you know, it, it was a little lazy with the diet my birthday weekend. But uh, I, oh, I did. A, I've been doing you a get pretty the mulligan. Yeah, I'm fine. I've been, I've been working out multiple times a week. I actually have some equipment that I just ordered that's coming in. Um, so I've I've actually feel like I've been better about my fitness. What'd you order? Than, uh, I got some resistance bands, like a whole bunch of resistance yes. bands and stuff. I needed. I, needed I used to have a whole set of other ones from when I used to personal train, but those are at my dad's house, and so obviously I can't go get those. So I yeah. had to order some other stuff. I got that, you know. I got a little ab roller. Got you know doing some body weight exercises. There's a lot of ways. So 
There's um, a lot. Yo, YouTube, they're anabolic aliens, Jordan Yo. A yeah, lot of people a lot. got some good stuff yeah. there. I got a couple dumbbells and a kettlebell, so I'm straight. I got yo, medicine ball too. I actually want to buy some kettlebells, but me and my best friend, we've been working out uh, about three times a week. We 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 FaceTime each other, uh, pushing each other, and so it, it's it's been good. It's been great. Like we yeah. we've been doing that. And you know what I do? I do wind sprints in the hallway now. So I, I do it with my daughter. My daughter, she just wants to run it back and forth in the hallway. So yeah. I let her go, and she thinks I'm a catcher, and I just blow past her, and then I just keep doing wind yeah. sprints back and forth. So I, I do that's that it. here too. I just don't be saying anything. all right but some people some people we talked about this on a previous podcast but some people are so desperate to get back to sports and we've had some news that's come out um around that especially uh around the nba really interesting stuff the nba um had stuff that came out a little bit earlier a couple days ago saying that they were going to reopen team practice facilities uh beginning uh this friday after when you hear the podcast um, for players in states and municipal- municipalities, I can never say that right, yeah, that are loosening stay-at-home restrictions amid the coronavirus pandemic. This is what sources told ESPN, according to Adrian Wojnarowski. Uh, Woj dropped that. So that includes states like Georgia, which we've talked about on this podcast the last one time for your mind. We spoke about this and our thoughts and how we feel about this. Brian and I talked about this a couple days ago. Brian sent this to me Um in a text that this would, you know, happen on May first, I immediately said I thought it was a bad idea. I yeah. think reopening anything. Um, the Wolves came out and did say that there's been like league. There's been some pushback. In there's the been league, some pushback, so. and I was going to get to that. There has been some yeah. push pushback to that um, to the initial May first date, um, and so there was pushback. It says coming from players, staff. So it's coming from all corners of the NBA. Yeah. Um, I'm glad there was pushback on this. When I saw that, uh, that did make me happy. I am concerned about this because this is what it comes down to for me, Brian. Doing this doesn't get us any closer to having sports, right? If anything, mm. it could only push us further away. And that's the way I look at it. This does nothing to get us further to sports. So why are we doing this? I think, well, I think as they said, as it was said in the report, like the main thing is making sure that players uh, could stay in shape in some way without, you know, in, in, cause I saw that, you know, people are worried about now that certain places are opening up little by little, which obviously they probably shouldn't be yet. Mm-hmm. Um, our players going to join Equinox. Our players going to join 24 hour fitness. Are they going to come in contact with people at these gyms? Instead, let's open a practice facility and give them a place that is safer uh, for them to do it. In terms of the practice facility stuff itself, I think that there's a way, let me answer this in two parts. I think that there's a way this can actually be done. If they're saying like, you know, obviously not too many people in the building, physical distance, one guy lets you open, no more than four people at a time, maybe one at each hoop. You know, there's ways to sort of like, there's ways to sort of do this in a way that's, I guess, safe, right? Now, here's my thing. Is it smart? Is no. it the smartest way to go about no. this? Probably not, right? And that's where I'm leaning at. Like, it's possible there's a way that this, there's a way that you could do this. Perhaps it can be successful, but no, look at the words I'm using. Perhaps, possibly, maybe. Is it the smartest thing? Probably not. Is it too soon? I would say so. I would like to see I, May 1st is just too soon. I, I need to, I, you need to give me June 1st before I can even think about it. And even then, I need to see what it looks like, you know? We have had experts. The people everybody should be listening to at this time, medical experts who have said there should not be any reopening of anything to at least at the earliest June 15th. This was said weeks ago. June 15th, yeah. And now you've got leagues talking about, well, first of all, I'll say what I said to Brian in the text. I do find the NBA at some fault for even trying to push this and push this out there because, as I said, I don't think this gets us closer to anything that we actually want. However, most of this blame falls on the horrible leadership of the governors in these states who actually allowed for this to happen in the first place because if you don't have that, then you don't have this. Still, the NBA has to be better and say this isn't good for our people. Brian's right. There might be a way to safely do this. I still think there are too many variables you have to worry about. Where are players going after this? Where are the people who open up the building going after this? Can they bring it back? Is it really ready for us to do it? The answer to me is is really clearly no. I don't think there's any benefit 
a reward here that's worth doing this. The risk <laughs> is it's it's not worth it's not worth the, the reward here. The reward's not even that great. Great. You could do this and you can still find out we might not see an NBA season until 2021. So then what? Yeah. You I did, mean, I, I, did this for I what? Think- yeah, I think their main thing is just trying to figure out ways to just keep guys in shape, keep guys, keep guys active on their sort of on their watch where, you know, there are people that live in condos that have no access to equipment, hoops, whatever. And I was listening to another podcast that basically said, yo, if you're an NBA player and you don't really have access to these things, that's kind of on you. And in a way, I'm like, ah, I'm not sure. I mean, th- I'm not sure that's so fair. I don't know if I go that far. Like, I. Like access to a hoop, way, yes, I think is, for, is, is tough. But access to like working out equipment, I mean, you might have a delay on some stuff, but you can get you can order some working out equipment. And yeah, teams for, teams can order these for the players too. Let's be serious. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come First on. and foremost, yeah, take care of your employers, right? And then and then there's also two-way players, uh guys on rookie contracts, which you know the league is vastly made up of. I mean, yeah. guys on guys even on minimum deals that are veterans and you know, probably haven't made that much in their careers because mo- they've been playing overseas. Like, you know what I mean? I don't know how Brad Wanamaker's living. Never mind a Devonte Graham who's still on this rookie contract. You right. know, so I, I don't, I don't know what that, what that's sort of looking like. But yeah, I mean, it's, I like, I can't, I can't. It's, it's too soon. Like again, there, there's probably ways. Like, look, you can probably experiment this, and it works out. But then what, as you sort of alluded to? And then part of this is also, look, you can probably get away with this in smaller areas. You can probably get away with this in certain cities where teams play or around where their practice facilities are. But the Nets and Knicks can't do this. You know what I mean? If you're in a certain area, like if you're the Lakers and the Clippers – uh, no. I, like yeah, yeah, no. you can drive everywhere, but that's going to be a little tougher. If you're the Miami Heat, it's possible, but is it worth the risk? You know what I mean? Like in all these nope, cities, Florida, it's a little... Florida is always Florida. Well, <laughs> yes, valid point. Uh, same thing with Orlando, and you're, you know, you're talking about some of your elite teams when you're mentioning Lakers, Clippers, Celtics, who are in a big city as well, Miami, and things of that nature. So uh, it's just, it's just too. I just it, wish it's not worth. It's not worth it right now. The upside is not really worth it. Exactly. Yet. It's because it's not. It's not like we're knocking on the door of really coming to the end of this. Man, thing. we ain't you know even what at I mean? the door. We ain't even at yeah. the door. We ain't even at well, the door. We, no, no, no. We're not <laughs> at the door. Like, and people need to understand this. Well, Again, what's the door, though? Like, <laughs> you know what the door is? I kind of want to finish the metaphor. The now. door. The door is when I see medical experts. Medical experts again, people say, in a couple weeks, we're ready to start phase one of reopening stuff. That's at okay. the door. That's at the okay. door. We're not even there yet. Nobody's even saying, "Hey, this is two weeks away from the." We're not even there yet. Yeah, I mean, so, I've said, I've said, we're not going to be. It's, I've said it's not going to come in May. You no, know what I mean? I've I, said, I've said to you, even in private, I'm like the earliest I could see things even opening up is like June first. And I don't. And even it. then, but even then, it would be very, very, very slow and gradual. And I'm thinking of it. I mean, look, Georgia's already doing it, so we could start there. But. Uh, even then, it's like I'm saying that uh, two months ago, not knowing what May is going to look like. So I was just throwing out a date. Look, I have no, I'm not a medical expert. You know all, what I'm saying? It, look, <laughs> with that being said, people listen to the medical experts. Why are they not the people we're listening to in here? How come nobody. Because listen? people just want to worry about money. This man. is the big question I have for the Money's NBA. Money's always the answer. You're right, it is the answer. But this question I have for the NBA and all these other leagues. When you're floating this stuff out and you're getting this stuff and Woj is able to report in it, is anybody asking these folks, hey, who did y'all speak to? How did you come to this decision? How did you decide that this is the time you do it? Because the governor, who clearly has made some dumb decisions in Georgia, is saying that's the right thing to do? Like, because when numbers spike, and I do think it's going to happen in Georgia, and I hope it doesn't. I don't want to see people sick. I don't want to see people die. But I just think that they've but rushed But it might it, be better for the greater They've good, rushed it too soon. Everything's all good till it happens to your family gets sick, your family member, your loved one gets sick. It's all good for everybody, and we want to rush back to this stuff until more people get hurt, and it shouldn't have to do that. Like, we have to learn from the past. Look at the history of other pandemics. Look at what happened uh, with influenza learn back from in the, the past early 19- month. Right. <laughs> learn. The, the thing is, a second wave could come and be more deadly. What we have more information than people did in the early 1900s is that we know that that happened. So let's be proactive. When you're trying to open up these gyms and facilities, you're not being proactive. 
Yeah, Sorry. I mean, the, the way that this is going to move is, you know, all the people who are rallying and holding these large gatherings and they want to, you know, open things up and they're in this rush. If like 75% of them get sick and they actually understand how serious this is, then maybe we could start actually making progress. Uh, the, the, like being straight up about it. I mean, because those are the people that probably need to get infected for everyone to be like, oh, okay, we're we're wilding. Let's close back up. Let's restart this again in places like Georgia. At, at least you and I are in New York where, I mean, granted, we've been hit the worst, but I'm saying at least we have like leadership that's competent and we we know that we're probably not going to act too soon on certain things. No, I, I, I don't think it's going to happen here, but I do get concerned for people elsewhere. And and it's not just in America for, for a perfect segue here. It's also happening overseas. Mm. And it happens in the most popular sport in the world. That being the sport, some of us, you know, the rest of the world will call it football. We call it soccer here in the United States. Yeah. But the Bundesliga... Yeah. Has a plan to return to action on May 9th, right? This, Bundesliga this is, for people who don't know it's in Germany. German and it's one of the league. biggest soccer leagues yes. in the world, probably one of the best always. I'm surprised you didn't know about this before I told you about this specific story. No, I admit I, I admit you that. you you watch some Bundesliga. I watch some Bundesliga. I'm more of a uh English Premier League guy. I think Same. that's a big league in the world. But I, I do watch some Bundesliga and that's German's top league. Uh, set to resume next month behind closed doors. That's if permission is granted by the government. So this is not official yet. Permission has been granted by the government. However, this is Professor Uwe G. Liebert. I hope I am said your name right, sir. Says the league's pr- proposed hygiene measure of games without fans and regular testing and monitoring of players are not sufficient to protect the safety of those involved. I happen to agree with him. I think he's thinking about the fact that they're Still, way too many factors in this. Yeah. He said he told this is a, a the middle middle Dutch Zaytum in Germany. We don't know about the long term effects of an illness with COVID nineteen. It's possible to get sick or die from the virus at a young age. Quote: You can only detect an infection after forty eight hours. From my point of view, all people in contact with a soccer player are first degree contact, so everyone would have to go in quarantine, possibly also the opposing team. Which I think this scientist is trying to show you how broad of a scope and one person potentially being infected could affect everything and everyone that they come in contact in. And again, this is why I keep saying, Brian, this is not worth the risk, man. It's not. It's just not not worth the risk. I agree. I mean, look, it's, it's the same thing with the NBA situation. There are just too many factors. There's just way too many factors for you. Cause like, cause look at what we're talking about. We're talking about just possibilities at the end of the day. Look at the measures that people are talking about. If we do like with baseball, for example, we talked about this recently. If we move everybody here and then we isolate them and test them every day and put them in a bubble and maybe do this and keep them away here, isolate them in a hotel. Like it's too much. It just wait, just wait. You know what I mean? Like, People are so the problem is, especially here in America, people are just so worried about like money and the economy and stuff like it's that. It's everywhere too, but yes. No, but especially here when yes. you know, I mean, look, people people apparently want to die for that shit. When it's like, look, man, they're they're are just more important things right now. Well like we have, livelihood. We, we do well, well, we do have to remember there was a senator down in the uh, great state of Texas that said there are more important things than living. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's what I'm saying. It's like those are the kind of people. All right, then, then you go. You know what I'm saying? You go to the next phase of this, right? But you know what I mean? Like, leave us on Earth alone. Look, (laughs) look. I'll say this before we move on to the next topic. uh, (sighs) But there are things that we have to do and adjust in this time, and it does seem like people are having a hard time adjusting. Bundesliga is about 25 games into their season, so they're trying to wrap that up. There are some talks at the EPL. Is trying to do the same thing in his Premier League. As much as I would like to see my Liverpool Reds yeah. get the title this year that they deserve after they were dominating the league so much, yeah. no, they don't need to come back and play because there's more things important than seeing my Reds hold up the title. I yeah. want to see it happen, but you know what? Things are more important than that. Safety first, man. Safety first. Yeah, now, it's, it's, it's like, yo, I, I agree with you. Like, I want to see Raheem Sterling again. <laughs> I want to see the former Liverpool play again. Yeah, former Liverpool. Yo, I used to use Liverpool that year with him and Daniel Sturridge. Sturridge I used to kill with them. I love that. Um, yeah, but it, it's like, yeah, it's just too soon for all of this. I mean, I, at the end of the day, we just have to, we just have to wait because it, it just doesn't make. What's the upside here, right? 
the upside, I mean, look, this past weekend we had boxing in Nicaragua. I can't, I can't definitively tell you that, you know, that that's going to be like great long-term. Like, yeah, the fighters, everybody got paid. I guess they're safe. Nicaragua only had 12 uh, reported cases before this and they have a population of over 6 million. Do I believe those numbers? I'm not sure. I don't really believe anybody's numbers right now. You know what I mean? But I think some are exaggerated and some less so. But there's just so much we don't know. Like, yo, everybody just sit and just wait. Wait this out and listen to the experts and see what they tell us uh, eventually when it's okay to, like, you know, go back to whatever the new normal is going to be. Yeah. All right, real quick. We had the NFL draft uh, take place last week. (sighs) And that was interesting in itself. It was all done uh, virtually. Um, I thought the production... Uh, of it despite the circumstances that they had they did a pretty decent job with it now i will be honest with everybody i only watched about six to seven picks in the first round (laughs) i i can't watch the nfl draft that long i don't care that much the nfl draft is a crapshoot is way too much time between the picks and i just get absolutely disinterested so i went on to watch something else that probably was better um However, there's a lot of things that went around with the NFL, the two issues. One, there was a lot of people, especially men, um, who came out and said, this is the first real live sporting event that we've had in, you know, or event around sports in a long time and totally disregarded the fact they that the, so the WNBA draft had taken place a week before. But forgetting about women, not, not so common around certain men uh, with certain sensibilities in sports. So I'm not that surprised Those about the it. the theme of this podcast, America. You know yeah, what I mean? <laughs> uh, th- yeah, not surprised in this country. Uh, the WNBA, who did a great job with their draft um, in handling it virtually and everything in the production of that. I watched more of that than I did of the, uh, the, of the NFL draft. They did a great job with that. But Brian, you texted me about something and brought up the fact that in the NFL draft, if you watch this, if you watch this, guys, Brian, <laughs> Brian, for those who aren't watching this, is rolling his eyes. I think this is a common drafting, but nobody hits on it more than probably the NFL draft. Nobody dives no, into no, it here's more the than the NFL draft. And I want to say, I want to put what Brian wrote in the notes here for this podcast, and he said there's way too much black trauma being shown. I happen to agree. I and people, to people, if you agree. look at and if you look at me, I'm clearly not black. No. So yeah. Brian, it's, please not, Brian, yeah. please explain the black trauma for the people that is shown consistently through the NFL draft. It'll be like the 14th pick in the NFL draft, and then they'll be like, oh, you know, this is a a tackle from – no, let's not use a tackle. Wide receiver from the University of Clemson, 6'2", 208 pounds, physical receiver, has big hands, you know, 62 catches, 1,008 yards, 11 touchdowns, you know, was a big playmaker for Trevor Lawrence. And then they'll play the sad music, and then they'll be like, but his mom – you know, tragically, you know, she used to shoot up heroin for 16 years of her life. And then the father wasn't there. And then they get into the whole shit. And I'm just like, yo, dog, like even with the the, the thing about it is not even beyond the fact that they're talking about things that they don't really need to talk about in a draft. Like if Mirren Fader is doing a human interest story on this person, I'm here for her get, uncovering those details. You know what I mean? But if we're just talking about a draft I don't think people need that human interest stuff there to that degree. You know, tell me that the dude wants to open an auto body repair shop when he's 35 years old. I'll be good with that. I don't need the whole entire sad details that everybody just going to, you know, everybody, largely NFL fans who are, you know, largely white are going to sit down and look at it and be like, damn, yo, glad that's not me. And then just keep it moving with their draft experience. That's a fascinating, like, it's a fascinating point you make that when they, it's not about them doing the human interest stories or that they're bad, but that it always seems to be regurgitated about the same subject. And we don't do anything. We don't do anything looking at, Hey, what's this guy's goals? What does he want to do beyond football? What yeah. kind of person is he? You know what I'm saying? Like what, what his, his essence isn't tied to his pain. Because like with me, that's what I actually want to know about these kids. If I'm just a, if I'm a normal consumer and, you know, I'm sane, I'm a sane sort of sports consumer, I, I would like to think. I would want to know, like, yeah, what do these kids want to do? Like, I actually want to know what are their interests outside of football? Mm-hmm. Is this person into cinematography? Does this person like to draw? Does he like to do, like, really cool stuff? Does this person, you know, like, did he save somebody's life before? That'd be cool to know. You know what I mean? But I don't want – I don't need to know about his worst trauma, especially when you're trafficking on it with a whole production that has music behind it all the time. Because Trey <laughs> Wingo would change the tone of his voice. The piano will kick in. 
And then they'll, the photos will be black and white, and it'll be sad. It'll be the whole production. He'll change the tone of his voice, and he'll get really serious when he's talking about Nazim Muhammad's worst trauma when he was 16 <laughs> years old. When he was 16 years old, the voice and, his father, and his father committed suicide with a bow and arrow in the middle of the Grand Canyon. I'm not like, trying, what are we doing? I'm not trying to laugh at anybody committed suicide. I'm laughing. I just want to be clear. I'm laughing at the ridiculousness of how they have to double down on the pain all the I time. Think, not laughing I think I, think I might, maybe I misheard this, but somebody had a family member that got eaten by a shark or attacked by a shark or something like that. I'm going to have to look this up on Twitter. And they actually talked about that. I'm like, dog, I don't think these are the details we need, especially, look, and let's boil it down to the fundamentals of this. We're talking about a draft, right? These kids in the NFL, entering the NFL draft, 20, 21, 22, 23 years old. I don't want to talk about their worst trauma on the night they're getting drafted. So here's They've been working hard for this for so long. I don't want to get into that now. So here's the thing. The other and side, this is the reporter talking the, the about other this. Side, I agree here, but the other side of people are going to say, well, look, there's 10 minutes between picks, as I complained about before. They've got to fill it with something. My thing is, I understand all that. I don't know what, but, but you know what? I don't know what anybody majored in. Tell me that. I, I I understand all that, but my thing is they can be more diverse in the storytelling that they choose to fill it with. I understand that there's also going to be some pain. I don't have a problem with there being some pain. But when that's all you keep selling around these athletes who happen to be black men, it's disappointing. You can find something else. Why? How can we never hear the story about the dude who came from a two-parent household whose parents might have been doing pretty well and... They were in academia or whatever they were doing. It could be anything. And they, they used their stuff from that world to help push them through sports. I know this exists. I'm sure it exists. But we never, we never hear that all, all the time. And it's like, look, we complain about the same stuff with, with music and movies and TV shows. Hey, NFL Productions. Hey, ESPN, whoever it is. You can be a little bit more diverse. But I'll tell you what, people. If you really want some diverse stories, you don't want any of that. Yo, watch Sideline Stories. <laughs> That we we're not we, we we you might get something sad in there, but we're gonna give you some diversity in the storytelling. I can you can guarantee yeah. that. Yeah, I mean that that's really what it is. It's just I I, I saw that and it just, it jumped out at me like probably about seven eight picks in, maybe a little more than that, where it happened about four or five times, and I was like, okay okay whatever. And then by the end of the first round, I was kind of like, damn, they did that a lot. I think Bill Simmons even started his podcast like joking about it because of how often they did it. He's like, who is that for? Like, who are they trying to target there? And I had the same thought. And then it was the next day in the second round where I'm like, wow, they're doing it again with the music and everything. Like they're not laying off this. And I, it well, really they, started... well, well, they already paid people to pre-produce this stuff. They're like not going to not run it. They're gonna, well, they're here's the thing. Here's the thing, too. The reaction was so... A lot of people on Twitter had my same sensibilities. A lot of people on Twitter had my same sensibilities. Not that many white people that I saw that had those sensibilities. I still think there's a lot of people who don't care. So I say that, too. But I think I think but overall, I mean, this was this was my problem when Oprah Winfrey, uh, Oprah Winfrey um, endorsed that story that the white lady wrote, I forgot, but she says that she's Puerto Rican, but she doesn't really claim right, like yeah, that yeah. whole thing. I forgot the name of the story, but she endorsed it. And a lot of people have problems with it because it's basically a white woman uh, writing about the traumas of black and brown kids. And a lot of people are tired of that. A lot of people that look like you and I are tired of that. I'm tired of basically white people giving out our stories and they're always traumatic. Well, and it's in a way where it's like, yo, you guys like to traffic off of that stuff. You know, there's a lot of good shit that comes out of our communities, too. A lot of it well, doesn't really get talked but, about. I, I will say this because we got to run and jump to the next segment with the guests we have coming up. But yeah. what I will say is a lot of times this happens because there aren't a lot of black and brown faces in positions of producers, executive producers, to make decisions or check the white folks in these positions who are making these decisions. So when you keep having people who look the same making these decisions and then they got to go into communities where there are black folks uh, t- t- telling these stories around it, this is what you're going to get because, unfortunately, there's not anybody to check them. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com backslash A-H-T-T. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player.
All right, we're bringing my man Deontay Prince, writer, editor for the Chicago Tribune. And Deontay, what's up, man? Long time no talk. How you been? I've been good. I've been good. You know, I made the made the trip over from New York to Chicago. Um, this this is actually a good time to be out here, you know, basketball wise. So uh, yeah. enjoying the move, family here. So everything's well. Yeah, I was happy for you to see to be able to get back home. That had to be exciting to just get back home and then also be able to to write back and you know where you grew up. Yeah, everything worked out as well as possible. Uh, obviously, like SLA offs or whatever, but I ended up getting to come home and, and work at a place that I kind of dreamed of working at, you know, as soon as I started this journalism thing. So it worked out well. Nah, they're definitely happy about that. Now, part of the reason we had we had to have you on here, of all people that I know, grew up in Chi-Town. I know you were a Bulls fan uh, grow, growing up. So what was the anticipation like for you for this last dance uh, series that we're watching now how how hyped up were you for this yeah I was hyped from the beginning um the thought was that we would have you know we would get through the playoffs and then we would have like this nice thing waiting on us at the end to sort of extend the basketball season um and then obviously when things were pushed back due to coronavirus the the anticipation for this just became so crazy and and when when they said that they were gonna, you know, push up the date and everything, I was super excited for, you know, as a basketball fan, just to get to see all of the footage and all the stuff that they recorded over the years. And then, you know, work-wise too, because you know we don't have a season to cover right now. And, right. You know, this is this is our bread and butter. You know, Bulls and Michael Jordan and everything. So, um, you know, this is gonna keep me busy for the next, you know, five weeks or three at this point. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was, I was super excited for it. Yeah, no doubt. We're, we're we're absolutely we're absolutely loving it. Um, we just got through parts three and four, uh, watching that. Uh, what is your takeaway of the series and what you've seen thus thus far? I mean, we we've seen a lot. Is there something really big that stands out to you? You've taken away from this? Uh, well, there are a few things. The, the The Bulls' treatment of players was not great in general. I think. We look at this, and we, because we're taking in the Bulls part of it right now, we're probably not extending it to the rest of the league. I would think outside of Boston and L.A. or, or you know, Detroit, places like that, that this was sort of like the way things went in a lot of different cities in the mm-hmm. NBA. You know, when before all the player empowerment and everything, you know, Jordan had a big hand in that. Magic and Larry had a big hand in that. But I would assume this is the way a lot of basketball stuff worked. Um, you know, Scotty's contract. I think Dennis held out at some point yep. to to start that season. Mike was on a bad contract until his last two years, so that really jumped out at me. Um, I would say, you know, a lot of the Dennis stories were illuminating. Yeah, his, him and Scotty just their their background and how they were sort of like plucked out of obscurity as basketball players. You know, like. They were basically adults before they were really basketball players and kind of more athletes than anything. So that, while I knew it, it's different to uh, to see the footage and to hear them talk about it. And um, I guess the the Jerry the Jerry Krause stuff has really been been heavy too. So um, those are the the threads that I've I've been following. The Jordan stuff is sort of like I know most of it, but it is nice to see how candid he has been in these interviews, even up to last night where he's like laying all of his feelings about Isaiah and the Pistons out and just like (laughs) not holding back anything. So it's been really nice just to see everybody like they, they committed to doing this and they really committed. Like they really are like all in and you can tell they're not holding anything back. So that's the good thing that while it's it's sort of a little buttoned up when they actually interview the people, like they they give us everything. Yeah, are, they absolutely have. Are there any points of this that you feel like because we have nothing else to talk about that they're being overcovered? Like we're making too much of this thing or too much of this of of any of those things you mentioned or anything you've seen in these first four parts at all? Um probably I mean Jerry Krause like the the villain angle of Jerry Krause has gotten huge. Um so there's that Jordan as a teammate and we might see a little bit more of that coming soon. There's been a lot of conversations about Jordan as a teammate, you know, calling guys out or maybe being physical with people. But that's sort of that's sort of how sports are. Even when you're not at the level where you're making millions of dollars, like yeah. I've definitely been in practice where dudes are like playing the play 
and getting in your way and being disruptive because they want to be starting and y'all end up getting in fights, fights. Or almost getting in yep. fights. You know? Oh yeah. And that oh, was yeah. high school. So um that that's probably been overblown a little bit. And obviously Scotty's contract became a, a big topic of discussion that after that that first week. Um he went and made a lot of money after he, he left Chicago, but that that first what was it seven years, eighteen million, that was that was the biggest conversation for um, you know, leading up, even up to to last night, everybody was talking about Scotty. What What were your thoughts on that, Deontay, with the contract? Because you heard a lot of people saying his agent did a bad job, you know, blaming him. I think there's a lot of ways you can look at this, right? Like in terms of the fact that he comes from the South, comes from very impoverished situation, and I kind of understand why he signed that contract. However, he's a grown man, and his owner did tell him not to sign that contract. So. It's hard for me to really. I feel bad for Scotty, and don't get me wrong. A lot of players were done wrong, but he did sign that deal. Well, I'll start with saying that I don't know that I necessarily uh, believe everything that Reisdorf says about That's the fair. Way negotiation. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, That's fair. He was because while Kraus has been painted as like the bad guy through all of this, none of that happens unless Reisdorf signs off on it. True story. And yep. I think a lot of that from him was probably, you know, cost cutting and, and saving money. Mm. You know, you don't want to have to pay Scotty and Mike 30 million and pay Dennis 20 or something like that. I think that they were looking at it saying, maybe we have one or two years more of this team. Do we want to have, you know, this, this crazy salary and, you know, do we want to pay all of these guys what they're going to be worth after they hit this free agency after that season? So there's that. Um, and Scotty, I think when you when you really dig into his background, being mm-hmm. from a family that big, um, and seeing what what real poverty was like, and and sort of being in a situation that he never really envisioned himself being in, I could see you sort of wanting to you know grab all you can at that moment before you know like even if even if we look at him as like this super athlete or whatever in his mind, you know he's still the same person that he probably was. At that point, he signed a deal in 91. He's probably still the same person that he was in, you know, 85. He might be right. looking at this thing as fleeting, you know, like I could get one injury and this this whole dream will be over. So, you know, if you secure $17 million to take care of your family, like I totally understand it. Um, the onus isn't necessarily on ownership to, you know, renegotiate that, but they totally could have. I mean, right. There's a whole stint where Mike isn't even on the team. Scott is your best player in in '94. You know, maybe maybe pay him as your best player then to to empower him. Um, you know, and 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 help him lead. But they decided not to do that, and I'm sure there were conversations that he had with them about the money before they got to '97, '98. Because in the documentary, they say that that contract sort of got old very quickly, and once TV came into it, the money was different. Absolutely so- right. So par four kind of gave off that the triangle sort of unlocked Scottie Pippen and was one of the key things that helped bring him to this next all-star level. And today when I was watching the jump, the jump, Tracy McGrady said that he didn't think that that was primarily responsible for that. He thinks it was more of a natural progression because going into that time, he's heading into his fourth year, usually your third, fourth year. If you're going to become a star, you kind of figure it out. So being that you guys kind of saw this happen in real time, I mean, what do y'all think? Do y'all think that this was the sort of, was it the triangle offense that really unlocked Scotty? Was it just, you know, his development? Was it both? Like, how did that go at that time? I'm gonna let I I'm gonna let you edging yeah. me up a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I wasn't around at all so, yet, so <laughs> I'm, I'm 33, but I did not know what the triangle was in '91. I'm not I'm not gonna pretend like <laughs> right. I knew you know defensive coverages or I was like writing out plays when I was when I was six <laughs> years old. I'm not gonna pretend that that at all. Um, I I I think it's maybe a little bit of both because uh, the other part that they covered was. Doug Collins having an entire offense where every play led to Michael Jordan finishing with the, with the ball, whereas Phil and the triangle and Tex Winter, it's a little bit more cohesive. And Scotty wasn't necessarily the type of guy who's going to say, give me the ball, I'm going to go get mine. That was never really the way he played. Mm. When you look back, even though he was capable of scoring more, when you look back at, at stats or whatever, there were a lot of games where he would have 
15 points and take nine shots or something like that. He wasn't necessarily a gunner like that. And I think that his he was sort of like more predisposed to be a, a facilitator and a you know and a point guard. And I could see how um, the progression in terms of you know going through those Detroit years, learning how to play with Mike, learning from Mike, and then also having this offense that sort of tailors to you at the right time. Like I, I think both of those were sort of you know like a perfect marriage. So I've been I happen to agree with Deontay. I think it's a, a lot of that. And I also felt that the opportunity Deontay talked about before, which is the 93-94 season when Jordan left and 95, being the man on that team, even though he was crazy underpaid, I remember as a Knicks fan just still how good that team was with Pip leading them. And I think he was second in MVP in 93-94, if I'm I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they still made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, still made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. And I mean, I'm a Knicks fan. I know we got lucky with the Hubert Davis uh, call there, but they kind of owed it to the year before. They were getting at you in this part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... (laughs) He, I think that experience actually took his game to another level. You know, Deontay took him to that really next level where he could learn to lead and he really learned how to play without Mike. And so that did a lot for did a lot for him there. Did you enjoy seeing? Because you were, you said you were what? You said you were like six in ninety one. You said that. That's, yeah, that's, so yeah. You, I, was, I was born in eighty six. So you were born in eighty six, right? Yeah. So I've been five and so you've been five. You've been five. Title. Five in that. For you, even though you grew up a Bulls fan and saw some of the, this this team that we're covering, the Last Dance, to see that earlier stuff, right, like especially against the Bad Boys in that in that run in that era, how how was it to you to watch that era of the NBA and see that physicality? I'm sure you've watched old stuff, but what's what's yeah. it like to see that time? So I didn't watch, I I don't remember really watching these games like that, but as a kid, being you know like nine or ten or whatever, we had all the VHSs, so. I watched, I think it was, um, I was actually just, I was just watching this again. It was called Unbelievables. So it went through all of, it went through every era and it showed you literally every title run. So I remember being over a friend's house and popping that in and watching the entire thing. So like, I remember a lot of this stuff, not from when it actually happened, but from VHS in a more like condensed way. Um, Mm. But seeing the way that they 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 like the stuff that they did, I I would have been I'd have been throwing hands, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, the composure Mike the composure Mike had was crazy. Um, I think Scott Williams. I remember he he got slapped on the face by Lambeer. Like that was the way that I probably would have responded to that. Like the composure Mike had to know exactly what they're trying to do to know exactly what the result is going to be if he goes in there and he you know tries to go up in the air and to just do it and take the fall and get up and you know go to free throw line is it's crazy and they uh a lot of people in the in the doc said it over and over like i'm surprised he made it out i'm surprised he was alive like Mm -hmm. he really took some punishment he really took some punishment and that was before he went and bulked up and added muscle or whatever yes I, I would like to know how how long those ice baths were after <laughs> after those games because he man yeah. he got crushed. He was taking. A I beat. mean, maybe it was kind of a generational thing, but I saw a lot of people on Twitter actually complaining about that. Like, oh, that's not basketball. You can't do that. This, this, and that. Where you know back then that was kind of what you had to do to stop somebody like this. You know, that I was mean, the the Pistons. I think were in their own lane in terms of like how physical they were. Like. That nobody, nobody was doing, doing to people what they were doing to people. <laughs> no, but at the same time, it's like, I even remember playing in parks. If like, if you got flagrant fouled, you kind of just got flagrant fouled. You know, that was part nah, of. But nah, but you know nah, 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 nah. But there's some things <laughs> like, where people, where you and Deontay, you know this too from playing ball. If somebody crossed the line. You you had oh, yeah, we yeah, had to no, do something. No. You know like, what I mean? You jump, oh. Somebody pushing your back. Or yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Why that, you in the air? Like nah. nah. There's there's a line for sure, but I think that the sensibilities of today is that almost anything is a foul. Like I I noted this on Twitter where uh, Michael Jordan was saying that oh you know just 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 keep playing or whatever he said just you know don't complain or whatever it was I'm I'm mm-hmm. flubbing up what he actually said but that's essentially that's the, like that to Scotty yeah that's the message he was trying to get across when I, you know I watch NBA games today and 
every single play, there's a complaint over a dead ball. Like there's a yeah. complaint over a call. There's LeBron, Trey Young, Spencer Dinwiddie, everybody, every single everybody, play. Yeah. And it does not stop. And that shit is annoying. You know, it's funny. Well, even when they blatantly foul people, they go mm-hmm. to the ref. That's yeah. what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. It's like every single play where it's like when you when you actually like go back and watch some of these games, there are games where dudes are not really barking at the refs like that. They don't like, get it, the, they don't get at the refs like that, and they were a lot more coachable too. Yeah, I definitely agree. Players know that they're in the driver's seat. They know that the coach can be let go. They know that um, if they get to refs enough, or if they sort of set a tone. You could become what what Harden is, where you literally live off free throws. <laughs> I, I, we don't need no any more James yeah, Harden. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying he lives off free throws. And no, he, I know, but Jesus he's, Christ, he's manipulated um, everything I, in a, in a way that that really benefits him. Obviously, are you a James Harden fan? I think he's super skilled. I don't think he's always fun to watch. Got you. I think he's um, the worst star to watch. When, I think when it's when it's going when he has it going and he's doing the step backs and he's knocking down shots and he's like on a run, that can be fun. But whenever those plays in the lane don't work and those fouls don't happen, it's just flailing and it, it's kind of it can get ugly quick. Nah, I, I do think that. it's a generational thing because I don't think a LeBron James that's born into that style of basketball. Like if if he's a kid in the eighties and then he plays in the nineties, he's probably not the same LeBron where he's complaining after every single call. He's probably a different, you know, he's probably brought up like the way these guys were. So I do think it's a generational gap of well, now. Was, I think it was guys frown- feel like they can bark at the refs and stuff like that. And it just continues on and on. It was frowned upon too, right? Like your teammates, you had a lot of people like Jordan that would be like, yo, don't go and complain to the refs. Just keep playing. If anything, you were going to go at the other player. You're going to try to get in that other player's head. You weren't necessarily going to complain to the refs. It was almost a sign of weakness back then to kind of go yeah. go and complain to the refs. I'm trying to think. Even, even when I played, I barely – like, I barely got into it with refs. I used to get into it with other players, I but really I barely got, got into it with refs. refs. I mean, yeah. that's, that's probably a difference in the NBA too, though. It's not really – you can't really get into it with other players. That's, a good, that's a good point. about text quick. Right. Mm. So you can't really go they at should, They should let players get into it with other players more. Yeah, That'd be good for the players. You know, taunting calls are – you could duck on somebody looking at them too long and get a tech. <laughs> right. Like, that That happens. <laughs> yeah, so I can't point it at somebody. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't do that now. Times. <laughs> multiple times. You know what Scotty did to Patrick Ewan? I know you yeah. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thank yeah, you, Deontay. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that <laughs> up. Literally, he, he kneed him in the face and stepped over him on purpose. Allen Iverson, that would be a tech. Yep. Allen Iverson did to, um, to, to Derek Fisher. Tyron that would Lou. be a tech now, too. Yep. Oh, Tyron Lewis. Tyron Lewis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would absolutely be a tech. Yep. It absolutely would be. So, Deontay. My cousin did that actually in a pickup game. Uh, yeah. After Iverson did it, and he got a tech. <laughs> oh, <really? laughs> Wait, yeah. how did he get a tech in a pickup game? Well, it was you know like like a rec league game, a rec oh, league not game, like, yeah. not like a school game, but right. like a rec league game. We had refs, but yeah, he did that. <laughs> he got a tech when we were like you know like ten, eleven, something like that. Damn, that's crazy. So Deontay, what do, what are you looking forward to in the rest of this this series? Um, we've seen a lot in the first four parts. What are you looking forward to for the rest of the series? So. This was sort of like the climb. I want to see where where Jordan goes to to make sure that they they stay up there. Um, the baseball aspect, sort of like what what drove him to that. If how honest he'll be about that. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, he'll. Uh, they already showed his father, and I think they showed him that for a reason because you know in the next couple episodes, they'll probably. Um, highlight the effect that losing his father, you know, might have might have had on his life. Um, yeah. The next week, the preview would in, includes Kobe. So I think they'll probably dig into that all-star weekend uh, yeah. when, when they, they went against each other. So there are a lot of, a lot of, a lot of good storylines still to get to for sure. Mm. Yeah. No, there's, there's definitely a I lot. I want to see, I want to see dream team stuff and I want to see baseball stuff. That's what yeah, I'm dream team too. I want to see Dream Team stuff because I want to see like I I only know that Isaiah Thomas was kept off the team. I don't really know much more than that. I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to ask Deontay too. Deontay, you know the all the rumors that Jordan kept him off the off the team. After yeah. you heard the comments that he had, I believe that was in part four when he was talking about when the the Pistons uh, left the court in '91, didn't shake hands. 
when I heard Jordan talk about that, you could like really tell he like does he still, still said, yeah, yeah he's still could, pissed. Yeah, he's, he's still, still pissed. Mad. Like he really still doesn't mess with Isaiah. Yeah. When I listened to that, I was like, yo, I think he really kept that dude off the team. Do you think he kept him off the team? I think it was just him, though. You don't think it was just him? Okay. Mm. It seemed like, so I, Isaiah and Magic used to be really close. I think at that True. time, they might have been on the outs on, on some level. Mm. Um, because I just, I wrote something about this recently. I did like uh, all like the biggest moments in the Pistons Bulls rivalry. And I ended with um, Isaiah being left off of the uh, dream team so they put together this team not in 92 but the summer right after isaiah and all of those guys did the walk-off mm. Mm. so that's fresh in everybody's mind when they're putting the team together so mm. you got the executives and people who don't want to piss off michael jordan who might have had a hand in that too so i think that when it got to mike they already knew that they wanted him so much that you know, it's like, all right, so what are the things, like, what are the stipulations we think he might have? Yeah. And I think they knew that there was this this front-facing rivalry with Isaiah and with the Pistons. And I, I kind of believe him in, in that it was presented to him as Isaiah wouldn't be on the team because they were trying to appease him. But I think that had they not done that, he would have also been like, yo, I don't want this guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Because we right. can tell he's, there's still venom there. He still Ooh. hates it. As soon as they mentioned Isaiah's name with the walk-off, he just went went in. And Isaiah actually um, – I was just watching this before y'all called. He was on first take saying that he was surprised that Michael still um, harbors so much, like, personal animosity. Um, not that he, he expected him to be – upset with the team and the way that they can conduct the business or whatever and like you know physically beating him up as jordan called it yeah but that he personally doesn't like those guys outside of the basketball court as i said he was surprised that he still felt that strongly about it i mean but, did he see his hall of fame speech you know like that guy doesn't, that guy doesn't let go of grudges. <laughs> nothing. I, res- I respect <laughs> it though i respect it so there's some matter his high school coach yeah, there's some things that you got to hold on to. That one, I don't think so. But there's some things that you got to hold on to. I believe that. Uh, speaking of the dream team, I actually don't know this, but y'all might know the answer to this. Why was Christian Leitner on that team over Shaq? No, Shaq, well, so, Shaq was still in college. So no, was Leitner, no? They both left. Oh, they both so, left that light? Okay. That was the first year that it turned from amateur to professional. Yeah. So I think that they I know, yeah. sort of like throw a nod to those guys and just sort of like, at least include the best player in college. Leitner was a winner, and he had been one of the best players in college yeah, for absolutely. years. It's like I, obviously now, like it's a little downplayed what he was because his NBA career wasn't necessarily what he was in college. But it wasn't like Shaq would have been a no-brainer to be picked over Leitner at that time. Yep, hmm. like he was more athletic, but he was on an LSU team that wasn't like. Like they weren't, but they weren't as the good. Final yeah, four. like nah. they weren't winning yeah. like that. You know what I mean? I mean, and I would have just like, thought, I would have just thought it would have been funny to see him playing against some of those other countries because he's so much bigger than pretty much everyone else that they had. It, yeah, I mean, it would. Well, even back then though, he wasn't really that much bigger than everybody. He was just <clears> tall. <throat> he wasn't as big. But he was, he was still, you know, like the the agile, you know, thinner Shaq. So it was, yeah, it was a different player too. Yeah, nah, 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 it 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 definitely was. Nah, man, I I've, I've been enjoying the, I've been enjoying the series. I'm definitely excited to see um, how, how it finishes out and what else we we see. As a as a Bulls fan, um, how much pride are you taking in, in in seeing this? Because you know the Bulls haven't had a lot to cheer about um, too much lately. But new GM, much, new GM, they got some news. Yeah, you know we can talk about that with you. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk yeah. that. We'll, we'll go into that. Um, they do have the future to look forward to. We can just look at the past and the last dance, but. How excited are you about the future with the reshaping of the front office? And um, what do you think this means for, means for the Bulls going forward? And how much do you think you could get a return for Zach Levine? <laughs> yeah. What, how much do you think what? <laughs> no, say the question again. Is that you said? I said, how much do you think you could get a return for Zach Levine? I, I, don't, I mean, probably not that much. <laughs> uh, That's correct. I, it's not that he can't score. Is that, like... Nobody, no team in the NBA wants him to be their number one scorer. Mm. I don't, I don't, I think it, it, he would, it would take uh, for him to have sort of a, a different mental approach 
to the game. And maybe, you know, next year after, you know, if they lose just as much as they did this past year, he'll probably be ready to go and be ready to accept sort of a a lesser role on a on a team that wins. But, you know, he's got his money, so. Um, it's, I mean, they're making, they're definitely making positive strides, I think, in the way that they're handling this front off, uh, front office situation. The one troubling thing is the way that it started. The yes. fact that John Paxson basically had to fire himself. Um, like, and that's why I say like Ryansdorf, I think you kind of, even when he's, you know, he's, he's saying things on this documentary, you can you kind of have to like separate fact from fiction with him. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that this whole restructuring wouldn't happen unless John Paxson looked around and decided that he wanted something different or that he wanted to take a step back. He would still be there. Guard former would still be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's still weird that he's in this advisory role, which I think can cause problems with the team for sure. You know, the Lakers had this issue where um, I think it was um, Kurt Rambis was like, still in some weird advisory role with the Lakers while Magic was there, and that was causing issues. So the the Reinsdorf in, uh, in general with the Bulls and the White Sox, they're not good at cutting ties with people. Um, so the fact that this has even happened on, on this level is sort of like a revelation for people in Chicago, I think. Um, so to have a guy who... In uh, our tourists coming in from Denver, who understands analytics, who knows how to scout international, as as a guy who's you know actually from out there, who played uh, against the Bulls actually in that Paris game yep. that they showed um, in the documentary. So, and then and now they just hired the first black GM in um, franchise history. Which, if you look at the candidates that the Reinsdorfs were bringing in, that's I don't think that that move is is them. I think that's all our tours. Hmm. They brought in guys who all had histories, like charted, like, well, what, how am I trying to say this? Well, they they all had like issues with racism and you know saying things that weren't above board. Right. You know, they brought in Wilcox. They brought in Danny um, Ferry. Ferry. Like all these guys basically had scandals in their past. Mm. And, you know, I don't, if that's the lineup that you have, I don't think you're, like, jumping the gun to go hire a black GM. Word. Like, <laughs> Word. Know, no, I, I think Arturis was the one who said explicitly, like, that he was going to have um, a front office that was much bigger than the Bulls uh, previously had because they had one of the smallest um, front offices in the league, which is another sign that things weren't being run the way they probably should have, and that he was going to have – a staff that was full of people from different backgrounds, different races, everything. So, you know, that I, I think having him in place, I think is a, is a, is a positive sign. Deontay, could you touch on something there? Did it bother you at first the way this whole process started? Because when they kind of were zeroing in on our tourists, there was this, there was this outcry from other, you know, black general managers, front office people around the league saying like, Hey, they didn't even, even interview one black candidate yeah. for this position, which looked bad, obviously, or any minority candidates, um, I think it's a good thing that that this has happened, you know, go, going forward. And they they went and they got to, got somebody. But do you think this will sort of help the rest of the league and other places looking and saying we got to be more diverse in the way we search and look for people to be in front offices? I think what will be helpful if people realize sort of what what that first process looked like to me was that the fix was kind of in already, and then they just interviewed all of these sort of like throwaway names right. just so that. It looked like whatever. It's, it, it was almost sort of like, um, and this happens in football, but it happens to the black candidates where because mm. they have the Rooney rule, they interview people with no intention of hiring them. That's, that's what the Bulls did with, with uh, Ferry and Wilcox and those guys. They were never going to hire those dudes. I think that they had already, especially with how quickly it happened, they had already zeroed in on our tourists. Like they, there was a backroom deal already. So I think while things like that are still happening, it's, it's going to be hard for people of color, you know, if, if any racial background, black or uh, otherwise, to, uh, you know, make it to, to be the, the top, 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 you know what I mean, to be the, the VP of basketball operations. Um, you just have to have those relationships and 
sadly, a lot of that is sort of like, you know, that that boys club that, you know, people of color aren't always um, sort of like welcomed into. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's the first thing, recognizing that that's an issue. And then I think you saw a lot of players being vocal about that, too. And players really do hold a lot of power. So players, I think, have, are, have focused generally on who their coach is. And when players start to care more about who's in the front office and start to sort of like um, rally for more people of color to be in the front office and to be making decisions about, you know, how their careers are going, then I think that'll have a little bit of impact on what those rooms look like as well. And and, and the other thing is, you know, more ownership, um, you know, representation of people, uh, people of color. You know, right now it's only only two people um, with Rana Deev and, and Jordan, and then that, that's it. So I think that it's it's, it's definitely got to start from the top, and then it's got to uh, players have have to sort of like zero in on that as well. I agree. I guess last thing before we get out of here, um, the Bulls coach Boylan. Do you think he stays? Uh, you know, obviously when you get a new regime in the front office, generally they want a clean house, they want to change, get their own guy in there. Do you think he stays? I know we don't even know when the season's going to be, but do you think he stays whenever the next season will be uh, with the Bulls? No, I don't. I don't see that going. I don't see that lasting too much longer. Honestly, hmm. um, me neither. When you, you when you you have to look at the way that he was brought in to begin with, he was essentially an extension of Gar Foreman and John Paxson. He was somebody who was already on the staff. He was an assistant under Horberg. He wasn't. They didn't even interview people. They just made. And this is this was another problem. They they should have been interviewing, you know, coaches of color or coaches who were even even coaches who were just, you know, qualified for the job. This dude was. Uh, he was he was an assistant on Horberg's uh, Horberg staff. They made him the interim, and then all of a sudden he was the coach. You know what I mean? There was no search. There was no nothing. Um, and he was sort of. I'm saying this in past tense, I know already, but like a lot of the things that he does are just weird. Um, you know, <laughs> you know that, that player mutiny where he was trying to force yeah. people to get their loss. And he his timeouts are like so ill timed. This past season he he would call timeouts where the team would be losing by like fifteen, there's like ten seconds left. And yeah. he'll call a timeout and try to like give them some speech and make it some some learning situation and Zach Levine got pissed off about it every time like why are you calling you you can literally see him mouthing like why are you calling a timeout right now like, and there was one player where he even called a timeout uh during a fast break and stopped a layup what like, yeah he called he called timeout wow uh, I think it was DiVincenzo got a layup somebody was I forget who was driving somebody was driving mm-hmm. they threw a nice pass wide open layup they score, but he get called a timeout, so the points are negated. So he he just he's not. I don't I don't think he's gonna be a good fit with what they're trying to do in terms of like trying to change the culture and trying to you know be more more savvy as a team. You know what I mean? You, you have to be savvy and you have to be a guy that players actually want to. You have to have a coach who players want to play for if you want to bring people in. And yeah, so I don't, I don't see that. You don't see, you don't see that lasting too much longer. Yeah. Changes with changes with the bulls going forward are going to be very interesting. See if they can get back to the top. Are are the bulls going to win a championship before the Knicks? I would (laughs) think so. (laughs) I knew you guys. Y'all been waiting since 70, what? 73. Yeah. That's a great question. Wow. I'm thinking about that right now. I mean, I mean, mean, y'all have the two worst Eastern conference situations right now, I think. I think y'all have one. Y'all have one good player. We have like two. Who's the next one? Mitchell Robinson. Are you down on RJ Barrett? No, RJ was my. Oh, RJ was Mitchell your guy. Robinson. Oh wow. I'll, I'll say two, two. Mitchell Robinson's yeah. good. I like Mitchell and the, Robinson. And the but Bulls. He's not like, no, nah, yeah. Like a foundational guy. No, 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 no. We don't have. Um, I don't, I'm not sure we have that guy yet. I'm not sure. But I think when Wendell is healthy, Wendell is good. Wendell good. Yeah, I like. And him. and um, what you call? Levine, marketing. Mar- I wasn't even saying marketing. Kobe, like terrible season. I was saying Kobe. Yeah, Kobe White. I like Kobe. You like Kobe? He, yeah. Okay. Marketing. Well, yeah, are you- he got better and better too. Like you, he did. When he you did. watch the maturation, yep. in that last month, he was averaging like twenty, 
five and five. And the shot selection really was better. The shot selection right. was better. He was, he was being more. He was being more aggressive. Yep. His shot is crazy when he gets when he gets going too. Yep. So I think he could be a good like. Not he won't be a, a franchise player, but I I think he if he's like your third or fourth best player, you could still be fine. I could. I think I, I think that. he has a future as probably like a really good six man with the way he plays. I'm, yeah. If if he's a like if he's a starter, I don't like. It kind of depends on what's around him, but I I could totally see him being like almost Jamal Crawford ish. Put him in for twenty five minutes, and he could get you seventeen. I mean, you that's know. not a bad. Your, your best player has to be a ball handler if he's out there. Your best player has to be a big ball handler. Yeah. And then the way like LeBron would always have sort of like a a booby or a Mo Williams. Mm. Like, mm. You would have to have a guy like that, and then Kobe could sort of be, you know, the he could be that the, guy, the, right? Yeah. The guy that they find on, in the corner or something like that. Like, yeah, yeah. So Deontay, you're down on marketing. I know you had a bad season last year. You down on him? I think his uh, so the reason that I'm not super into him because it's not about skill or ability. It's about his mentality. Mm. He's not he's not aggressive enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to shoot? Think he needs to. I think he needs to work on his handle um, because he has that ability. Like, athletically, he can run, but he has to be in open space. He can't create his anything. Own shot. Mm-hmm. And because the Bulls don't, like you, like we just said, they don't have a true point guard. If he's not playing with a true point guard, he's not really getting shots like that. Mm. Um, you know, I think in, in the years before, he was the only option. You know, so if you know if if Jimmy and those like Jimmy didn't play a lot, so you had marketing out there. He was the only guy who was really like capable of scoring, so everybody was looking for him. But then when you have Zach and he's using thirty percent of your possessions, and he's dribbling a lot, and marketing <laughs> just standing there, right. He, he he was he was taken out of the game, but he also didn't have that mentality to be like, "Yo, like chill, like find me." <laughs> right. He doesn't have that so, aggressiveness. I, I, man, I would want to trade that whole roster. Almost. He has a skill, but when you get to that level, everybody has skill. The skill. So yeah. Like we've been seeing this in the last dance. It's it's your mental and how hard you work. That's that's what's going to separate you from people when you get to that level. It's it's uh like the the layers the layer that separates people from like average and and good and great is it's thin. Yep. Oh yeah. Agree. Agree. Agree with that, Deontay man. We want to thank you uh for coming through as always, talking a little last dance, little bulls with us. Um, and you know keep keep up the great work that you're doing at the trip. I'm happy. I'm happy you back home. I miss you here in New York, but I'm happy you back home, man. So I appreciate it. Glad 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 you're doing well for our guests. Uh, Deontay Prince, he is the editor, writer, covers a lot of the Bulls, Chicago sports at the Chicago Tribune. For my man, Brian Fonseca, until next time, y'all. Peace.